You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, we're in Galatians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 8. If you want to know where we're at, you can go ahead and get your Bible pointed in that direction. Uh, guys, I want to say when we look at the book of Galatians, right, we're reading a book that Paul wrote designed specifically um, to combat false teachers, teachers who came in and took the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation uh, is, is by grace through faith. Uh, there's no works needed other than believing in Jesus Christ, if you count that as a work at all. Um, that is the only thing you need to have eternal life, to receive salvation, to be in God's family. And then these men would come behind Paul, and they would teach, yes, but. That, that, that was the way they would teach, right? Well, sure, but how about this as well? And they would add things on um, to the gospel um, that Paul was given, the gospel that Paul had um, run by the early, early apostles, the people who knew um, Christ personally on the earth, the gospel that was commended um, by the saints in the Jerusalem and delivered to Paul by Christ himself, um, that gospel message um, was not good enough for these other teachers. And we uh, fall prey to that in the church today, right? We like to add things on um, to what God says. And I really think a lot of that is just because we're scared of, of breaking God's um, commands, and so we build hedges um, in. And so we're like, okay, we're supposed to, you know, do these things and these things and these things. And eventually our world gets so small and tiny, we know that no matter where we go inside of our world, we're okay because we've put all these hedges between us and, and breaking God's law. But the truth is, Jesus did not intend, he did not come to earth to die on the cross for your sins so you could live in this little, like, tiny portion of a world. Right, God's desire for you is to, to participate fully uh, in what it means to be saved and the freedom that comes from salvation. And in this passage that we're in today, the Apostle Paul finally gets fed up. You ever been fed up with something before, someone before? Maybe it's the, you know, I'm a father and I have 19 children, I think. I don't know how many kids I have right now. Is the number six right now, officially? Six kids is what I have. I have to use a second hand to show how many kids I have. Okay, that's a problem, right? What, what is going to happen when I get to 11? I'm going to be kicking my foot off the ground, okay? So I have, I have six children, and if you've raised one child, you know this to be true. They are wicked, right? You don't have to teach them to be wicked. They're just wicked people, too. They are deep down inside. They don't know anything different. And eventually, as a parent... After the ninth, 10th, 20th, 200th time of correcting the same behavior, you get fed up, right? And, and instead of, like, trying to lovingly redirect, right, we, we, uh, we deal a lot, uh, since we're in the adoption world, uh, we deal a lot with TBRI, trauma-based um, relational intervention, right? That's the, the, the parenting technique that we're taught um, in our adoption classes. It came um, from a, a teacher from TCU. I'm a big TCU fan, so, hey, that worked for me. Um, but eventually, you get tired of walking through, like, the TBRI steps, and you just want to look at someone and be like, stop. Like, you're being an idiot. You know you're being an idiot. Stop being an idiot. My family motto, right, the, 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 the motto of my family, like that, that'll be on my family crest, right, that, that we're going to make one day, 
is three words, and it says, don't be dumb. That's it, right? That's the entirety of my parenting technique with my kids. Is that something that's stupid? Would a stupid person do that? Don't do that, right? And, and, and if you find yourself in a situation and you think this might be dumb, it's dumb. Stop it. And I get fed up. And Paul, right now, in the book of Galatians, is fed up. He is emotionally exhausted. He feels like he has dealt with this issue as much as he can. With the same people that he's dealt with, he he brought this church into faith. He shared the gospel with them. He led them to salvation. He introduced them to what it meant to live free in Christ. And then they just keep doing the same stupid thing. And he's fed up. And the heart of the pastor comes out. I want to tell you something that's true about me, as it is probably true of every pastor in America. Eventually, after a while of working with you and trying to help you and trying to redirect you and guide you and, uh, and lead you, eventually we get fed up. I'm just tired of it. Uh, I forget, I forget the, the name of the comedian. Uh, Bob Newhart is who it is. Bob Newhart is before my time. That's what I know about Bob Newhart. Apparently he had a show on TV, right? But he had, he had a thing where he was a counselor. Some of you are like, Bob Newhart's not before your time. He is, okay? Um, but um, he was a counselor in there, and the person's going in there with their problems, right? And they're just yammering on about their problems. And then he's like, stop it! Right? That's the entire counsel of this. And I'm sure like, that's how he felt. If you're a counselor, you probably would love to yell at people. To stop it. School teachers, you know this, right? The same kid, the same problem over and over again. Like, and you know that you can't yell at them because you might lose your job. But like everything in you wants to be like, stop. Please, just stop. This is where Paul is. He's fed up. He's tired of saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it hurts him to see his church so misguided. Guys, I live that way sometimes as your pastor. It hurts me sometimes. Right now, I'm going to, well, I'll talk a little bit more specifically about my problems later. Okay, we'll deal with yours first. Okay, so we're going to read in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Galatians 4, starting in verse 8. And this is what Paul says. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather are to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you were to be one, who who you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul is going through, and he just begins to lay out the problem that the church had. You guys were once slaves to the flesh, slaves to laws, slaves to ritualized obedience, trying to be something, trying to earn some privilege with God. I showed you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all embraced it lovingly, and now you want to go back. And these are Gentile people. This is a crazy thing Paul is saying. These are Gentile believers in Galatia. Who, who never knew God at all. They didn't know him from Abraham or the Old Testament law or the covenants that have gone on before him. They just lived a life enslaved to their passions. Paul introduced them to Jesus Christ, 
the Messiah, and they received him, and now they're reverting back to being slaves, but instead of being slaves to what they were, they're being enslaved to Judaism. Right? And that is a crazy thing for Paul to say. Because Paul is a very Jewish man. Right? His whole backstory is, is, is based in Judaism. And he is saying what, what the Jewish faith has to offer, like what you're adding into Christianity, is just as empty and bankrupt as your polytheistic uh, cult of the emperor pagan worship that you were doing before. Guys, and that is very true. Everything outside of a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ is totally, 100% empty and bankrupt. It leads you nowhere. I'm not, I'm not saying that people aren't good intentioned. I'm not saying that people aren't um, well-behaved. Right? If you have a Mormon neighbor, I like to, to, to harp on the Mormons sometimes because they are so good. They're so good. Right? I mean, they really are. I've been told, I've not tried this out, but if a Mormon missionary comes to your house, they can't tell you no. Right? If you need to move a piano upstairs, they have to say yes. Right? They're just good people, and they really are. They're good people who are misguided. And what they've embraced is something that makes them just as much in bondage as if they were living like pagans and heathens. They are totally, completely irreparably lost without Jesus Christ. And guys, we have to, that, that truth, that, that, that other than a relationship with Christ, everything is bankrupt and slavery should just absolutely drive how we interact with Jesus. Right? It should, should change how we interact with, with God and Jesus and believers in our faith because faith is the only thing it is not the kernel of your salvation. It is the entirety of the hope of your salvation. It's not, it's not just part of what it is or how you begin to come into a relationship with God. It is your relationship with God. You're choosing to read through the Bible in a systemic way, which, by the way, I encourage you to do systematically. Read through the Bible. I'm reading through it chronologically right now. I would not recommend that because every day... It feels like I'm reading the same story two or three times. I just finished the Kings and Chronicles parallel narratives, and I'm going to get to the Gospels eventually, and I'm going to read the same story four times. Right? So maybe, maybe don't read it straight through chronologically, but find a way to read through the Bible. Man, I encourage you to do that. I implore you to do that. But if you think that your uh, ritualized obedience to Bible reading is somehow moving you forward in your relationship with God, it's not. Reading the Bible as an act of faith will move you in your relationship with God, but faith is everything there. It's the entirety of the thing. And so Paul lays out the problem. You guys knew Jesus because I showed him to you, and then you guys are going backwards to something else. And everything other than Jesus, no matter how good it looks, is bankrupt and slavery. Your Muslim neighbor, bankrupt and slavery. Right, your atheist friend who is a good person. Right, not your atheist friend who's like, you know, whatever tag in your house, right? But your good friend who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It's bankrupt and slavery. Everything outside of Christ is bondage. And we have to know that in our hearts. We have to see it with our eyes. And then we have to implore people to find a better way. Because no one is intended to live in bondage indefinitely. None of us are intended to stay enslaved indefinitely. We are encouraged, we're implored, 
were begged to go experience the fullness of the freedom of Jesus Christ. And guys, I want you to know that God wants you to be free. Because He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience it. Nothing outside of faith will do that for you. That's the problem that they have. And then Paul continues talking. And then Paul, like this is when Paul loses his mind. right? Because Paul is a very ordered thinker. If you read the book of Romans, or really most all the rest of the book of Galatians, Paul is a super ordered thinker. Right? He is a great person for preachers to preach because he, pre- he thinks like preachers want him to think. Preachers don't like the narrative sections. I, I'm not, that's not true. Preachers have harder times with the narrative sections of the Bible because they're like, how do I make this story preach? How do I make the point here? Paul is like, and here's what I'm saying. And he builds it like a big pyramid, and you're like, there's the point right there. If you don't say that, like you're really just abusing the Bible because it's so patently clear what Paul is trying to say here. But in this section, Paul has just lost it. Right? And he just starts rambling. And here's what he says, starting in verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, I plead with you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if it was possible, you would have gouged your own eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you for no good. That's the false teachers. uh, But for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you and now change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul just starts rambling. He's like, you know, I came and I was sick and you guys took care of me and then I told you about Jesus and you accepted Jesus and you would have torn out your own eyes for me and now you're doing this and they want to enslave you. And he's just rambling. Right? I was trying to make a logical, common sense, like walk through with this as I was working on the sermon this week and I was like, no, not going to do it. No, because it is just like shotgun over here, over here, over here. But his whole heart there is, guys, I love you. I love you like a mother loves her child. And you guys know that about me. And then I look at y'all and y'all are wrong. And he's emotionally attached to this argument. And pastors, the people who do my job, we're emotionally attached to our people. Right, you may not know that. You may think that I, you know, Matt knows my name and maybe what I do. I am emotionally attached to you. I have a great deal of love and concern for you. I will lose sleep when I know things are going on in your life that are troubling for your soul or for your family. But I love you. And I have experienced exactly what Paul experiences here, where, where you look at the, the person that you've done ministry with And your heart just grieves over it. You don't know what to say. In my first youth ministry, I was in Blanchard Baptist Church, Livingston, Texas. It was a young man. um, It was a small church, but the youth ministry probably had 20 or 30 kids. And so it's a good point for me to break in uh, to to figuring out how to do ministry. There was a young man there. um, His family came to the church, or his mother uh, came to the church. And um, so he was connected deeper than a lot of our youth who just rode in on the bus that, that they ran out there to pick kids up out by the lake. 
And uh, I invested everything I had into this kid. I mean, like, the best that I had, I gave him every bit of, of uh, counsel, guidance, mentoring that 22-year-old Matt Higginbotham could do. Right? And it's probably not, I wasn't perfect, I wasn't like, I'm not St. Paul, right? Like, I'm, I'm Matt, I'm St. Matt, not that great, right? Um, and I gave this kid everything that I had, and then he just ghosted. It means he disappeared. Just absolutely disappeared. He was a, going to be a junior or a senior, and he just disappeared. And so I went over to his house, and uh, his mom met me outside. She disappeared, too, at the same time. And, and I had one of the most, like, heart-wrenching conversations in my life. And, and, and the way I, the takeaway that I took from that at 20, I was about 23 at this time, the takeaway I took from that conversation was, like, yes, we recognize that you have ministered to my son, and yes, we recognize that you're pouring into him. But basically, we're done with you. And it wasn't that they were going to the church down the street. It's kind of like, yeah, we're done with you. And I was crying. I mean, my, my wife uh, can testify. It hurt me still if I was to think about it. Like that, that relationship wound, and I was, that's 16 years ago now. And that relationship wound is still there. It still is part of my ministry story. That the people that you pour into, the people that you invest in, they turn their back on you as a minister. They turn their back on the gospel, right? The, 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 the message of your ministry. And it hurts. It hurts the church. And so we go through these things. I want you to know as your pastor, like I have an emotional connection to you. Right, as we look at the beginning of the passage, right, we find that, that living by faith is harder than it seems. Right? It is hard to live by faith. We naturally fall away from faith unless we're, we're consistently reminded that faith is the kernel of what we have. But you know, in the second passage, we find out uh, that pastors grieve over their wayward members. And we do. Guys, I grieve over wayward members. When, when you're gone, of course this is a weird season right now because you're all gone. Um, but when you've been gone, when, when, you, when you're here and then you disappear for six months at a time, that's hard on me. Like, I grieve over that. I, I deal with that. I try to figure out, what did I do? What did I say? Uh, my wife and I had a, had a, a couple which we, we came very close to. Um, but, man, when Hurricane Harvey came in, um, they had attended our church like once. And Hurricane Harvey came in, and that was a bad Sunday. If you remember Hurricane Harvey Sunday, the weather was not good in, in Rockdale, Texas. But we took a group down to, to Houston, and the, this couple was with us. They went to Houston uh, with my family to go do some mud out and stuff that we did down there to help um, some friends and some people that we knew down in, in the Kingwood area. And so we go down there, and, and, and man, I'm good with people. Maybe I'm not. I think I am, though. Right? I'm good with people. And so I have good relationships. I can, I can hold a conversation. I can smile. I can make it laugh. I think that at the end of the day, like, you're going to be like, oh, I like Matt. I'm sure some people don't like me. I call y'all crazy. But, but most people like me. I'm a likable guy. And so we have this wonderful time. We're, we're staying at my friend's house, and they're awesome, amazing people. And then, like, my wife and I, we're, we're tremendous. My wife is so tremendous, right? I mean, just, just the best. And so we're having this great time, and we're working together, doing good work. And then I never see them again for, like, 18 months. Uh, that was the last time I saw them for a year and a half. They just disappeared, disappeared. Not like, not like they kind of disappeared, like, oh, I haven't seen them in a few months. Like, they were gone. And then one Sunday, they just walked back in. And I'm like, you know what I did for that 18-month period, though? I replayed every 
joke that I shared. It's like, was this the joke that ran them off? Like, was this the stupid comment that ran? Because while I'm likable, I say all sorts of stupid stuff. Right? And I know that. And so I go through every, and I start going through my wife, and I'm like, maybe they just don't like her. Right? Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a her issue, right? right? And, and the truth was something else. There was another story behind that. But for 18 months, I agonized about that. Because I thought, man, these people are a part of our church, and then they just disappear. I, 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 it hurts. Pastors to have people just disappear out of us. We grieve over wayward members. And guys, there is a lot of ways to go wayward. I want to deal with just a few things that grieve the heart of pastors today. And these are my things that grieve me. Um, but if you are a pastor or you know a pastor, they, there's probably some things that, that, that grieve, grieve them as well. Misplaced priorities grieves the pastor. Right? The idea that uh, your family vacation... Uh, your kids select soccer team. Uh, it's not as bad in here in Rockdale, but man, when I lived in Kingwood, select sports, fall ball, year-round, everything. Like my kid is uh, a competitive ice dancer, and I'm like, I don't think that's a thing, right? But but like there's a thousand activities that, that kids do, and for some reason, parents prioritize those all over church. That hurts. Like, as a pastor, that hurts. Like, it, it grieves the heart of the pastor. And it's not to think that, that, like, if you're not here any given Sunday, that you're a dang lost pagan. But if you're gone every Sunday because your kids got soccer or softball or ice hockey or competitive figure skating, like, maybe, just maybe, your priorities are messed up. It grieves the pastor to have that. You need to check your priorities church because we grieve over those things. Self-centered living. Oh my goodness, self-centered living. The, the, the idolization of self that, that we are all that matters, right? Where we, where we prioritize our dollars and our time and, and, and church and God and Jesus and the kingdom building activities that you're supposed to be about. Like they get on the list at the bottom of the budget. Right, my wife and I make a budget. I say that my wife makes a budget, and she tells me what I have to spend. That's the way the budget works, okay? Um, but at the top of our budget is what we give back to this place. That's a weird feeling, by the way, just so you know. You get a paycheck, and then you give money back to the same place that just paid you. But whatever, right? It's the top of our budget. That's not because I'm the pastor here. It's because if I don't put it at the top of the budget, it's not at the top of the budget, and it hasn't always been in our lives and ministry. You know what happens? Like when paying the bill for the house is at the top of the budget, there's always another thing. And then at the bottom of the budget, you're like, we have miscellaneous, like 20 bucks of like mad money and church, right? But the church stuff gets it's stolen from, right? Because it goes somewhere else. And so, so like misplaced priorities, it grieves the pastor because it shows that you've got a problem. It's not just your finance, it's your time. It's what you view as most important. It grieves my heart, just like Paul, like stammers and stumbles and goes on and on about what, what is wrong with you. I feel that when I see misplaced priorities. I don't know what you should give to the church. I don't even, honestly, I, I don't know what you give to the church or if you give to the church. Now, sometimes people give me a check, and I know they gave to the church, okay? But by and large, I have no idea. I don't handle the money at this place. I don't uh, insert the che- or, I don't know, put the checks in. That's, that's Charles Holder after the service will be doing that. Carolyn handles that, and Bob handles the, the, the big picture numbers. I don't know any of them. 
But I do know, and I can see it in your life, whether or not you're prioritizing wrongly. And when I see your priorities are yourself or this other thing over God, it hurts. Because it shows you, you, you're struggling, right? You're struggling with that, that understanding of how central God is to your life. Uh, like, like, that's a huge hurt for me. Also, lovelessness. You know, as, as Christians, we're supposed to be known by the way we love one another. That's our primary thing that we're supposed to be known by. And I, I'm on Facebook and to a lesser degree on Twitter. Um, like, if you post and we're friends, I see what you post. Okay? Like, if we're friends, or you follow me, I see what you post. And I have a lot of Christ followers that I follow on social media. Some in this church, and, and others in other places around the world. Um, boy, that's rough sometimes. That's rough sometimes. Lovelessness. Like, this situation we have right now, this, this crazy... Because, like, what's going on across the world right now is we have, like, this... This kind of systemic racism problem, which is real. And then we have looting and rioting and destruction of property, which is real. And for some reason, we have to side up. We have to be like, well, I'm totally opposed to destruction of property. And, and uh, yeah. And then, and then, but you can't be there and also be like, hey, I don't think we should strangle people on the street. Or you can't be in both places on social media for some reason. I don't know why you have to choose a side. And somehow there's a political divide as well. Like if you're a Republican... You're against property destruction and, like, massive anarchy, right? Which you should be, by the way. Be against anarchy, right? It doesn't sound great, right? And then if you're a Democrat, you're like, let them burn the city down. We need to stop killing people, right, in the streets, which is, like, which is true, right? Like, I understand that. Like, and I, and I, but, but we need to be in both places. People I love, I've watched this week, and I'm like, oh, stop. Stop. Just, like, if you don't know what to say. That's okay. I don't say much on social media because, honestly, like, I, I don't know what to say. You don't need to hear every opinion that I have. You'll hear it on Sunday, and it's probably not that good then. right? And I've had time to think about it. I'm not firing off a tweet right away. right? But, but if you're putting it out there and I see lovelessness, like it grieves my heart. If I see how you interact with other people, you know, um, there's a lot of lost people in this world. And they are lost and they are bound for hell. And I know that. And that grieves my heart. But if you celebrate lost people going to hell, you don't understand the gospel very well. You don't. Because you were that lost person going to hell. So we need to celebrate like, like <laughs> salvation. Not final judgment on people that leads them to damnation. Guys, we've got to do better. My heart hurts for things that I see. As your pastor, it's tough out there. And wandering sheep trouble their pastors. And so I want to encourage you for a couple things right now, church. If you're a member of my church, which most of you are, and some of you on the internet are too, guard yourself to stay near the shepherd. And here's the deal. God has entrusted me to be your shepherd of this local church. I work underneath a better shepherd, Jesus Christ. And when I wander away from Jesus Christ, don't follow me there. Stay with Jesus. But I do my very best day by day to stay near the good shepherd 
so I can be an okay shepherd for y'all. So guys, I want to encourage you, stay near to me as I stay near to Christ. Because when you wander, guys, it troubles me. It brings anxiety to me. And it's not good for you either. God has entrusted me, and this is a very weird thing to say, but God has entrusted me the responsibility to care for, protect, and guide you. I take it seriously. I love y'all. I desire to guide y'all. I desire to care for y'all. I desire to comfort y'all and to protect y'all. Stay near to me as I stay near to Jesus. Let me pray.